What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, if you want to support this show, you need to go and catch the great people at Bella Catering on their website and order up. If you're in the Sydney area, order up and cater for any events, any get-togethers, any catch-ups you are now allowed to have face-to-face with your friends and family. And while we're teetering on the edge of what we can and can't have at home, why stress yourself out with cooking? Just let Bella Catering do it. They're the best. They have a great team. They're great people. They're great friends of the show, and they're great friends of mine in my personal life. And uh, I'd appreciate if you check them out. They've been a great support for the show. Now, this is a massive week. We have had revelations in the news. It feels like it's been five news cycles since the last time we talked. We have a massive lineup of guests. And you're going to get these guests thick and fast this week. I cannot wait to share them with you. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We also have a Patreon. Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute. Bonus shows, shout outs. But now, let's get to all the president's minutes for this week. To present the next award are two English artists whom I envy very much. I have a special admiration for him since he did such a brilliant job playing me and Alfie. He was later nominated for Sloop. With him is the gifted and alluring lady who lured an Oscar to London for her performance in the prime of Miss Jean Brody. Won't they ever forgive us for the Boston Tea Party? Here is Maggie Smith and Michael King. Bob, the first time I ever saw you was when you appeared at the Prince of Wales Theatre in London. I was six. Well, that's interesting. How about you? Me? I I was sitting in his lap. Well, I don't mind these little barbs. I'm happy to be just a part of this great industry. I'm delighted that artists of your caliber pay any attention to me at all. Truly, I am. The nominees for the outstanding performance by an actor in a supporting role are Mikhail Baryshnikov in The Turning Point, Peter Firth in Equus, Alec Guinness in Star Wars, Jason Robards in Julia, Maximilian Schell in Julia. And I have the envelope, and the winner is Jason Robards in Julia. 
wish him very well and many congratulations. Yes, we've just got to get off that, so he's not here. Because they're running here. short of time. <laughs> they're a Bye. bit short of time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Uh, joining me today is someone who uh, I'm a big fan of in both his critical writing for The Atlantic, which is now the biggest, <laughs> basically the biggest outlet in the world this week um, as we're recording. And I just adore his podcast, Blank Check, with his co-host, Griffin Newman. Uh, it's it's a source of much joy and like ships in the night as I was ending one heat minute, they were beginning a Michael Mann miniseries and we kind of missed each other as that happened. But like everything, um, it just comes back around that I'm so thrilled that I get to talk to him today. He's obviously a culture critic and film writer uh, for the Atlantic magazine and has got bylines elsewhere. Um, came from the AV club. If you've been reading that long ago um, with uh, TV criticism, but you know, their blank check podcast has spanned many directors who've been given blank checks throughout their entire careers and continues to this day. Um, and I just, I, I love listening to him. So I couldn't wait to get him on the show. David Sims, welcome to all the president's minutes, mate. Thanks so much for doing it. Of course. Thanks for having me. So you don't often get to just talk about one minute of one show and often, no. um, <laughs> and, and and I don't know if you guys, I was going back through, I don't know if you've done a, a Pakula uh, miniseries, but he doesn't seem like a guy who got given really any blank checks for anything in his career, unlike some of the people that you have covered. Um, but <sighs> it's, I'd, I'd like to do him. <laughs> He's a good, uh, you know, like a, a me nice medium-sized filmography, Alan Pakula. Like it's not, it's not too many movies. It wouldn't eat up. But yeah, what would his blank check be? That's the question. Comes a horseman, James James Khan yeah. on a horse it as is, a cowboy. It is probably that because <laughs> that makes sense. It's post, yeah. you know, uh, his his early successes. He gets to do something weirder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I mean, look, and now that you know, I've said it a couple of times on the show, but like now one of the biggest shows in America is Yellowstone, and I just feel like anyone who see has seen Comes a Horseman's like, oh yeah. It's Yellow. It's it's Yellowstone. It's kind of proto Yellowstone, except with, you know, Ben uh, Ben Bradley, aka Jason Robards, as the bad guy in this show, as opposed to Costa. And uh, you know, here we are. Right. It's interesting. He's got that kind of middle ground, uh, uh, that sort of middle period, that sort of fallow period. He's got Sophie's Choice, but there's a lot of like you know, Rollover, Dream Lover, Orphans, See You in the Morning. You know, movies that didn't have huge tales. But then the end is so strong, like uh, presumed innocent Pelican Brief. Pelican like you know, brief. it would it, you know would end pretty well. And the Devil's Own, he did you know he did he die making it or die before its release? Right, like right. It was, it, that it was, was it was in that weird corridor, yeah, around that right. time. And you know he didn't you know uh, he didn't really get to fully appreciate at the end of his life the discourse about the accents in the devil's own which we we've had the luxury of living our lives to live through the the discourse on the accents in the devil's own uh yes uh so yeah you know i would like to do pakula but he is like you say not someone who ever got an absolutely ludicrous blank check which no. is sort of our concept no, yeah no 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 and um and 
one of the things that um, uh, on a, on a complete tangent, I tweeted the seeing in Australia tenant a little bit earlier than a few folk in the United States. I tweeted that tenant was Nolan's blackout. I'm pleased to see that you finally got to see tenant and uh, that further incentivized you to see it and that you enjoyed it. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm also glad about that before we dive uh, too, too far back into 1976 in this movie. Uh, yeah. Let's talk tenant if you want. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right in terms of, I mean, it's going to do better than Black Hat, but yeah, Black it, Hat was Black Hat was one of those ones where like it's an Australian, it's an Australian lead actor. We in Australia get notified that it's coming out. Michael Mann's going to be here. Maybe there's a premiere with Chris Hemsworth and all of us Aussie journos in the film space are like awesome, you know. Especially the Mann fans like me are like great. Michael Mann might get to interview him, etc. And they're literally a week out from release, they're like, "Nah, we're canceling Tenet in Australia." <laughs> Just I was very black hat you in mean Australia. Black hat. Yeah, black hat. Sorry, and it never, it, it never it had a theatrical release. Out? It had oh, never had a theatrical release in, in Australia. Never. Oh. Um, so, you know, then we had to, I had to jump onto iTunes, the United States and, uh, and get myself a copy so that I could watch it, you know, months before it ever even came into video, uh, in Oz, but yeah, you've, you've finally gotten to see Tenet. So that's a good one. Tenet is good. I just think it'll have that reputation in his filmography where if you, if you're, if you're trying to argue that's your favorite Nolan movie, you're, you're out on an Island, not in a bad way. It's just that, you know, there won't be a lot of people who are like, well, my, my absolute favorite is Tenet, but but it is kind of him pushing the limits of the kind of storytelling that people love about him, that drive people crazy about him. Uh, you know, we're seeing as far as he can take it. You know, maybe it's not for everybody. I was pretty into it. I want to see it again. I think it will be an incredibly rewarding second viewing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm not a, I'm cool. not I'm not in a rush. I'm not in a rush. Much like most of those folks who probably saw Black Hat for the first time, I was like, you know, I I love Michael Mann, but it just it was never one of my it was never one of my favorites in in that moment. And like like I think exactly like you like I tweeted and like you said, it's like it's him. It's the very best of what he does in like his contemporary sense, and it's also the things that push people's buttons. And sometimes it can leave you a bit cold and. You know that maybe it's me just being an Aussie, but like, there's nothing more infuriating to me than an Australian actor not doing an accent really well that they're meant to be doing, and also that they're lacking all the charm that they have with their natural accent, and it just seems to like befuddle you even more. Like it's this weird, uncanny valley thing where you're like, I can't watch mm. this person do this bad accent. Mm. Like it's just it, it grows more grating with every second that they're on the screen. Mm. Um. So let's dive, let's go to a movie that isn't uh, nearly as uh, controversially <laughs> received. Um, mm-hmm. All the President's Men, we talk about a little bit up the top with Pakula, but Pakula is a guy who really like pound for pound that Paranoia trilogy. It's like one of the most important sort of threefers that appears in that new Hollywood period. It's so seminal for everything that's going around it. It's so influential. Um, are you, you know, I know a little bit about it because of reading your stuff and, 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 and hearing you on your show, but what's your relationship with new Hollywood? Like are you, and, and particularly like paranoia cinema like this, is this a, a, something that is seminal for you? You get off on it or is it something that you sort of gone back to? Like uh, what's your relationship with new Hollywood and, and particularly this movie? I mean, I love it. It's, you know, it's, it's period stuff for me. Like I obviously I didn't grow up with it. I was not, 
around in the seventies, but um, I mean, you know, I, I, I love the Pakula movies. I did, a, I did a list on the Atlantic of these kinds of movies pretty recently, actually, because my boss loves them. You know, I was trying to sort of <laughs> widen it to like um, movies about distrust, but like, you know, government distrust in general, but like, um, it's yeah, I, the conversation, you know, three days of the condor marathon, man, what, you know, parallax view is, is one of my favorites. Like it's, 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 it's an, ex there's not a lot of genres that are so explicitly tied to what's happening right when they're being, you know, you, you know, often with, with these sort of like, you know, movie, the movie movements you're kind of like oh well you know this is this is a reaction to the last 10 years of storytelling in cinema or like this this is like the sort of after effects of what had happened in the 60s you know but like to think of this movie as hitting theaters what is it like two years after nixon's rest yeah, three years it, it, like it's, very it's early 76 two. early 76 yeah, right. and it's happened in 74 and Redford's right. even talking to these guys before their book comes out, you know, yeah, <laughs> which is just like insane. It, 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 it's one of those things that's just insane to me. It doesn't make like it, it's unfathomable. I think the first time I saw this movie, I was probably a teenager and I think I expected it to be a more down the middle story about like the Watergate scandal, like how they yeah. took down Nixon, like, you know, how the hearings went, right? You know what I mean? Like, I think I expected Watergate to play out in the movie. Yes. And I was surprised when it didn't, not in a bad way, but I was just kind of like, oh, I, I, I didn't get that that's what it was going for. Now I watch it and like, I mean, it's just, it's just like the seminal reporting movie, not even yes. journalism, just reporting, you know, and that's, that's what I love about it. Both my parents were reporters. They were reporters during this time. Um, Really, and like yes, yeah, yeah, and like you know, they, What's they what, what, have what a lot are the, of romanticism for that. Yeah, what do they say about it? Because like that's the a couple of people I've spoken to on the show. Really lucky to speak to Kenny Turin, who was like a culture writer for the Washington Post at the time that this was unfolding. Like new Carl Bernstein, new Woodward. But like, I I really wonder, like, do you do you folks talk about like that? You know, the sort of the good old days, and like think about those guys and how they influenced you know reporting around the world at the time um well i mean they're city reporters both of them basically yeah. and my, my my dad had done a bunch of stuff but like as i knew them they were city reporters so it's this kind of work you know and especially yeah. and it was this kind of a, it was like you know sitting by the phone typewriting like you know arguing with your editor like you know all, all the sort of dynamics of this movie are what i associate with their job uh, <laughs> yes. and kind of just like the very sort of slow weedly kind of process of building up sources and kind of just like bugging people and you know but like not really hassling just kind of like being around being a, a person that people would eventually be like hey you hey you know, <laughs> i got something i wanted to you know like that's that's all that sort of grunt work that goes into it so we watch we're here in this movie. We're now beyond 90 minutes of it. I'm really thrilled because um, we get to chat in a Bradley minute and he's fiery. Yeah, literally. this is a Bradley minute. Yeah, he's, he, he, he's fiery literally from the moment that this minute opens. So how about you and I quickly watch this minute together right now? 
the folks listening along can uh, listen and hear us watch it and then we can come back and unpack it for them and uh and 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 hear bradley get a bit fired up with uh, the the evasive nature of some of the sources that the boys have had right now can we use the names no god damn it when is somebody gonna go on the record in this story You guys are about to write a story that says the former attorney general, the highest ranking law enforcement officer in this country, is a crook. Just be sure you're right. Essex House, may I help you? John Mitchell. Sir, this is Carl Bernstein of the Washington Post, and I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour. Tomorrow we're running a story and uh, in the paper, and we just think that you should have a chance to comment on it. Well, what does it say? John and Mitchell, while serving as United States Attorney General, personally controlled a secret cash... There it is. Sorry to cut there you off is. in the middle of uh, Mr. Mitchell... Mr. Mitchell hearing what was being reported about him, but oh man, the God damn it. When is someone going to go on the record about this story is just one of my favorite readings in this. And the it's, it's another Bradley minute where the consequences of what they're actually saying. It's so cool. Um, especially the way it's structured in the writing of like, you guys realize what you're reporting. I, right. I think that that sometimes that's not underscored as much in just, even everyday reporting, you realize what you're saying right now, you know, and I imagine when a story has the big stakes, people going, you realize what you're saying right now. You're saying that <laughs> the attorney general of the United States is a crook. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is a, I, this is a, a moment in this movie and the Bradley character is obviously very crucial in the movie and Jason Roberts won an Oscar and he's great, but like, um, it, it, since this movie, they're so in their heads and they're so in this, you know, they, they've like dunked their heads into this complicated mess of a story and they like cannot even, no one ever says like Nixon, right? Like no one ever yeah. says like, you know, there's just the sort of furtive glances to the White House or there's the, the big long pauses. Like, and Bradley is, tend, you know, the kind of editor where he's sort of like, a bit of a poker face guy he's casual he's relaxed. like you know he 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 knows when to turn it on and when not to but right the the a crucial part of being a reporter is going to your editor and being like well here's what i think i got and they them either being like this is great i need more of this or them kind of slapping you around and being like you can't you you know you you need to like sort of see the forest <laughs> from the trees here and I like that he just yells once. Like, it's not like he berates them. Yes. It's not like he delivers like a two minute monologue on like the ethics of good journalism. He's just a little bit at his wits end because all they have are, you know, shadowy people in the sidelines. Right. And, and you're exactly right. It's like, there's, it's, there's such a beautiful thing about him saying that. And then he doesn't need to say it. And exactly as you said, they're, they're so dunked in this whole story that like, no guys, what you're actually saying when you, you, why you need someone on the record is because of what you're about to say. And it's like, finally do, do me something. And, and watching the, and 
there's a great fun hierarchy at play, like something, you know, I've seen it in like corporate jobs I've worked and everything like that, where it's like him being pissed off right then is pissed off at the situation and not directly berating the guys. And he's as much annoyed with Harry and Howard who are, you know, Martin Balsam and, um, and Jack Warden's characters in front of him because like they're not able to see how important it is for someone to be on the record saying these things so that they can do it. They're like, they're trying to like backstab and like, yeah. Oh, have we got anything on this guy? And he's like, God damn it. Like, forget about little backstabbing stuff. We need actually someone to go on the record. That's what we need so that we can lead the story with a, like a, a, a legitimate source. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The, the other thing I like about, you know, and this is a movie about a newsroom is that you have so many of those scenes with uh, Jack Ward and Martin Balsam, you know, Bradley, all those guys. Um, where they're just talking about page one and they're just talking about the story budget and it's like, you know, what does foreign have? What does national have? And you see the kind of petty squabbling between the desks over, you know, like, well, you know, like national trying to take this story, all that stuff. Like, and it, none of it is that crucial to the plot of this movie at all. Like none no. of it, it, it really, you know, there, there are whole scenes where you're like, Oh, nothing happened there. Like that was, you're kind of expecting some information to drop that doesn't drop. And it's, it's all so like that you can just understand the organs of this thing. Like, yeah. and that, uh, Balsam and Warden, you know, Rosenfeld and Simon, it's like that they can't, uh, give green lights on certain things, you know, like that. Just, I just like all the processy stuff about it without it feeling like a process movie. No. Well, it, of course, if, of course it does feel like a process movie because it's all process, but it doesn't feel like a, a line diagram. You know, it, it just does. This movie never feels like here's how journalism works. All right. You get the tip and then you talk to the people, you know, like it feels so frustrating. It feels kind of useless what they're doing for like a, solid 90 minutes to two hours where they just keep getting like hints and they keep getting new bits but it's not like they're just sort of like filling in some map and the you know answer at the end of the map is nixon like that's just it's it's more you're just sort of seeing them like gather all this string and then they end up with this kind of confusing ball and bradley like you need these moments with bradley where he's like here's what I need from you. Like, you know, and, 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 and like, then it's a good reset. Yeah. It is, it's a complete tempo shift. And I love what you said, because you're watching, like you're watching the, the most process like driven thing is like simply just a reporter being on the phone, calling someone to inquire about something. And the mm -hmm. way that they make that less boring or less processy is like, just watch how inane the scribbling is like you watch him draw a man's face and then draw the glasses and it's like how is this phone call like other than what you're kind of learning from what you're hearing in every phone call you're like how is this phone call actually going to give us the hints that we need or the breakthroughs that we need to like get nixon and i it's kind of it, it i i love thinking about it like in so many times now watching this movie for this project and so many times like absorbing it i keep going like I love how clueless these guys are to how complicit Nixon is when now it's so it's what we yeah. associate. I, I love that. They're kind of like at no point during the, what we're watching, are they like, Oh, Nixon's a part of this. Yeah. It just, I think that the, the idea and it, it, the idea probably felt clear in 76, like, you know, a young generation 
the first thing of they think of with Nixon is just Watergate. He was a crook. He, you know, mm. but just for for the audience in '76, they would still remember how it was like. Surely Nixon didn't know about this kind of chicken shit thing that had happened because it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would the president be ordering, you know, burglaries? You know, like, it's and a president so, who was ordering burglaries when he was so he's far winning, ahead. He's, right, he's, he's winning, crushing. He's crushing. And you know, and right, and you see the whole like Eagleton scandal is playing out in the back. You know, all that stuff is happening, and it's like you you can tell like it's a foregone. I love how much of a foregone conclusion the nixon scan the, the, the nixon re-election is in the movie like every yeah. time it's on television no one cares you know yeah it's on the tv people are typing away no one's on the edge of their seat about the convention or anything like that and <laughs> so so right so it's like it has to be no this has to just be some idiot guys it is you know committee to re-elect the president you know get getting to having too much fun or being you know getting getting <laughs> too silly or like right like Having too much money, it's, having too much money, and basically not right, having what a lot to do of money and not needing to spend it because you're winning, you know. But I can't, I hate to bring up Trump because, like, but it's hard not to watch this with Trump because, like, with Trump in mind right now, yeah, because Trump has been impeached and has been accused of all sorts of nefarious things that he's doing from the White House, but those things sort of have played out so openly. Like I feel like the public has been kind of plugged into every scandal and every accusation from minute one. And obviously he fired Comey and like, you know, there was all this stuff that was just like front page news immediately. And that's partly just the internet era. And that partly the people are more sensitive to this stuff now because of things like Watergate, but it is also just like, Oh no, right. This is just sort of like, I mean, he's a different person. He, he's operating differently. Like, uh, I, th- there's a few fun games, and I imagine uh, this, would, this would be like an improv exercise I'd love to throw at you and your host, Griffin, is like, imagine me Nixon with Twitter. Like, imagine me Nixon with Twitter during Watergate. You know, like, uh, wh- why? Wh- imagine all of the fun that he could have had and like, like have your own, you know, propaganda news channel that talks about how good Nixon does everything else and his international diplomacy and all those sorts of things. And it's like, and you know, the paper that you're a staff writer for the Atlantic, it's like, there's been some great, like, like great comedians. Like there's a comedian, Tim Dillon from New York, um, who like lives in LA, but he was just saying earlier this week, he's like, is anyone surprised that Trump doesn't understand people having a calling? Like he, right. You know, like, I mean, also, you know, while it's while it's revelatory and it's like kind of gross, he's like, but would anyone be surprised that this guy doesn't understand like why someone would have a calling, why someone would have a passion, why someone would be patriotic? It's like, imagine trying to tell Trump, you know, I want to be, you want to be a comedian. So spend, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you want to be a comedian. So you spend 10 years of your life basically broke living on couches to then hope that you can actually cut through then market yourself then maybe have a show and then like you be become one of those rarefied folk who can like actually make a living off of your brand and your personality and your comedy it's like trump would never understand a calling and it's so funny that that like your your one of the paper you work for this week is like that story has now seeming to move the dial and there's been like 20 I can't think of like, even in the last year, there's been like 20 mm. or 30 or 40 examples of like 
oh, maybe this is the thing. Like when you mm. like shoot tear gas at Black Lives Matter protesters and like rubber bullets so you can hold a Bible upside down at a church that you've never been to before. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't know that. Because I, no, I, no, I, go on, go on. Go I, I, saw, I saw your lady sort of come through your back screen. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll fix it up. Yeah. I'm in the edit. But yeah, so for me, there's like 40 or 50 of those examples. And it's so funny when something actually seems to cut through and move the dial, like in a bipartisan sense, like 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 the latter stages of what Watergate did. Um, it, it almost feels like it's impossible in our contemporary time for that to happen. Like because of so many examples, we've seen it just not happen. I know what you mean. I mean, there's also the sort of crazy thing about Watergate where Nixon literally was recorded ordering like he was recording yeah. himself which just seems so like oh. ludicrous now oh my god um and but yeah we got to talk about trump it, it, it could take us all day to sort of figure you know to sort of <laughs> figure all the ways in which he sort of operates differently and like how right like you say like you know when you have a president who lives such a chaotic sort of like you know it's, it operates so chaotically like things just don't stick to him in the same way it is it is interesting how things have been in the last couple of weeks, but like, I, I, am I'm, I'm very much a sort of like, I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I refuse to sort of think like this'll be the one after four years, but it, it is, it is funny what sticks and what doesn't. And you're right about the calling thing. Like the thing with Nixon was in, in 76, I feel like it's like he was seen as so competent and, he was like a political lifer like he he you know i just don't like it's odd to think about this now but like i don't think he was thought of as like particularly corrupt until all this starts happening yes, right yes. i mean i guess there was the checkers you know there have been things in his life but like he was a guy who just like he'd always worked in government so it's like you know it's not like he was some businessman like sort of you know uh rushing his way into the White House. He was, yeah, it's a Nixon. Like everyone knew who Nixon was. Like, I don't know, and, it's sort of and, fascinating. But like, and, yes. And he had, the, he had the positive things of like, and this is a couple, you know, us being movie fans. I'm like, for anyone who got a chance to see the great documentary, Apollo 11, it's like at the end of Apollo 11, Nixon delivers this incredible, you know, uh, I don't know, like global leadership message of solidarity and like human mm -hmm. ingenuity. And like, he's so articulate about, you know, this is not just for America, it's for the world and it's for mankind and all this sort of like beautiful stuff. And I'm like, he sort of had great PR and like knew when to not like knew when to be a diplomat as well. Like, and, and that just doesn't seem in the realm of, you know, Trump in any way, shape or form. That's that's certainly true. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So we get this great moment, this great beat where he does this reset. It's the first big reset of the movie because there's a few of these moments where he like has to hammer home and sort of reset. And I think it's like as the stakes grow a little bit higher, but this is the first big one. And then you get, you know, we've had some great scenes already with Robert Redford on the phone. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But then finally we get this great John Mitchell scene. And I just love, I love that it's Bernstein because it feels like such a great Hoffman. I'll call someone when they're half asleep to read a story to them and then sort of capitalize moment. And I love just everything about Hoffman's performance here. His eyes lighting up the way he's like scribbling notes and the way that he's yes. trying to like totally keep his shit together, but he's having such a great time, which I love that he does in this movie and this performance. It, though, but those scenes are always so delightful. The, uh, the, the phone call scenes where yeah. you're trying to read in there in Woodward or Bernstein's faces, like, Oh, like, was that important what they just, you know, like, yes, this isn't a movie where there's like a music cue because someone says like, Oh, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. It's like, you know, like that, yeah. the movie doesn't, isn't interested in anything like that. Um, yeah. The, 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 that scene's obviously, I mean, what, what I, this movie has all the sort of like nasty is too strong, but like all the kind of rude little tricks that reporters can play <laughs> to try and get it you know so you've got them sort of pretending they know information to confirm information you've got them uh you know half uh, bernstein pulling the trick in the office where he uh you know gets the secretary away from her desk you know stuff like there's like i feel like so much stuff like that but like the calling marshall at 11 30 at night the night before the like where the story's about to run like you know that is such a classic like okay now it's finally time to get a comment like uh i love that it's 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 joyful because especially like and i can like i feel like running it back and doing like a slow motion replay but when he hears him like go like 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 blearily go like hello like he's so giddy like it's like of course he's gonna have the shits he's gonna be cantankerous the fact that his like secretary is like cold transferred him from the other side of the country to his bedroom it's like it's just great um yeah but this minute's interesting because right because the first half is of this minute is bradley chewing him out a little bit and kind of like a little bit boosting them a little bit and then the second half is just that quiet office action which is like most of what they're doing is just sitting in this office typing, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like there, there's those, there, there's two energies like to the post. Like, <laughs> this is one of, I'm trying to think of other great newsroom movies. This is just one of, I mean, this is the most iconic cinematic newsroom. Yes. Even, yeah. yeah you know, right. Like, I there's, can't think of I anything mean, that's there's, close. There's others that are good. Like broadcast news is really good. And the paper Love is that. good. Um, I mean, I love the paper because it's that is based on my mom's job. That's based on the Daily News, where she worked, and like they like that. The but like the paper is a fun, silly movie. I mean, Spotlight, yeah. I guess. But Spotlight, they're in kind of their own little office, and it's a little different. Like, I just like the kind of like, you know, the the big, open sort of 
bustling or empty like newspaper office like the, the whole gordon willis's whole sort of aesthetic for how this thing looks just sort of defines like the movie newsroom to me yeah and and it's kind of like it's the one that kind of breaks the mold as well because you've got this really sort of open and expansive and like overly lit newsroom in so many of the scenes that they've got and then um jason bailey who's was a guest on the show he he described it in like modern day parlance of like, as soon as they let Gordon Willis out of this newsroom, he just went ham. Like they just like let him off the leash and then he's shooting things like people are descending into the underworld, like, you know, or lighting things like it's a Rembrandt painting. It's got all this other style, but in this newsroom, it's like, it just looks so great and contemporary. Like it feels like you're just walking into a corporate office. That's like overly lit is an open plan you know other than the corduroy and the old phones like it, it could totally be a contemporary office it, like it feels so fresh when you go into that newsroom right it's the i mean he's the best he's a genius yeah gordon. it's 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 gordo. it's oh gordy <laughs> you and gordo right. quite close <laughs> yeah, um right. but but it's like but also i think you know that's the massive difference when you look at like the posts compared to presidents is the post is kind of like this little impressionist version of that like that newsroom which is meant to be literally like a year or two before feels nothing like the newsroom we see in this like it feels like a really small and quaint and tiny thing a tiny operation and then you jump into this movie it's like it's a massive expansive huge space like it feels really completely completely different Uh, it does. I love it. I love the look of this movie. I, and I do like the post, of course, which which made the clever decision to be set in the old Washington Post office, which is yes. the junkier. Yes. Um, uh, and, you know, I liked that Spielberg was like, I'm not even going to touch, like, sort of the iconic Washington Post office because, like, I know, like, that's been done. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love... I mean, I'm sure you've talked about Robards a lot. I guess he's not in the movie much, right? Like if no. you're doing it minute by minute, you only get little get brief of, glimpses of him. You you get these big... This is what's fun talking to you in this minute. It's like there are like chasms where he's not around, but he's around. Like it's like after he chews them out, like the way they act in the next few you know minutes of the movie or the next few scenes is like based on that chewing out or you know, they've got a scene with Bradley and I think we're about to head into a section of the movie where there's way more Bradley than there's been basically up to this point. Yeah. But he's so massive. Like, I, I think that's one thing that you guys have talked about definitely on your show. It's like um, these actors that kind of come in and just like shoot the lights out and they're in so little of the movie, but they're absolutely just like crushing it out of the park from like every second that they're on screen and just dominating everything. Yes, um, he's incredible. Yeah, he. No, he wins again next year. It's so weird that he won in two Oscars in a row, and I always yeah. forget because like this is such an obvious Oscar win. Like he's so good in this movie, and it's such a. But a tough like, category. Like a tough. He he was against. He was against um, Burgess Meredith, and um, right. And, oh and Burt Young. And Burt right, Young right. for Rocky. The two Rocky guys who were Rocky. both great, but probably probably both had their fans. And yeah. Yeah. And then and Olivier for Olivier Marathon for Man. Marathon Man. Who's good. Who's good. Like, it's a murder. Like, that. 
a Ned I would not, network. Yeah, it's I good. W- I would not want to put money on who is going to win that. And then the fact that he gets it the next year is kind of like, oh, who's in that next year bracket? I can't even remember. The next year is weird because it's Mikhail Baryshnikov for the turning point. So that's mm. kind of like he's a, a non-actor who's given this like interesting performance. He's a beloved dancer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Peter Firth and Equus, who's like the young person who's never been in a movie before yes. as well. Uh, Maximilian Schell and Julia, and which, okay, fine. He has an Oscar. And uh, Alec Guinness in Star Wars, who my guess is sort of the obvious winner. Yeah. But Guinness already has an Oscar. He might have two. Um, and maybe also just there was kind of a like skepticism of Star Wars as a an actor's picture uh obviously he's the only yes. actor nominated like but it is weird that they were like okay i guess we'll give it to robards again to back because uh, if it was it was if it was flopped if it was like well robards had just won for julia but then this movie came around and it was like well geez like hey what are you gonna do like this what are you gonna do he's so good that supporting actor type performance and right uh but instead it was like they had just had this great opportunity to reward a well-known Hollywood character actor with an Oscar for a great role. And they took it like, you know, sometimes (laughs) they don't take it, but like they took it. He won. Great job, everybody. And then next year they're like, Oh, I guess you just get it again. It's just funny. That's all. It's not a, it's not a crazy thing. It's just funny. Weird little bit of Oscar marginalia. It's like one of those year things where certain categories of people, like where you're like, it's like the year that Spielberg missed the director, like the best director nomination for Jaws. In that same year, it's got like Kubrick. I think it's got like Kubrick. It's got like a, um, it's like in some insane year where there's like five of the best living directors ever are all in the same the category. Jaws year? Yeah, yeah, the Let's Jaws see. year. Well, now I want to find it. Well, Jaws is what, 75? 75. So it might have been right. 76. So- yeah, so it's Kubrick, like you say, for Barry Lyndon. Yes. Lume for Dog Day Afternoon. Lume, yep. Altman for Nashville. Yep. Uh, Milos Forman for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And those are all um, Best Picture nominees. And then the fifth, not Best Picture nominee, was Jaws. And they, but the director was Fellini for, Fellini. Fellini for Amarcord. And I believe on the famous video that they shot of Spielberg, where he realizes that he has not been nominated. He says like Fellini, they gave it to Fellini. Like, you know, and that's kind of a, like the Oscars being like, okay, one more for the old master. Like that's Fellini's penultimate movie. Right. You know, like it makes sense, but you're like that Fellini snuck in or whatever. It doesn't make sense because Jaws is all direction. Like, you know, it's sort of insane not to give it, but you're right. Like, what are you going to do? Kick, like Lumet or Altman yeah. or Kubrick off. Like, you know, it is kind of a wild thing to think. Yeah. And, and, and no one's getting kicked off that list, but it's, but I think it's funny. And <clears throat> the next thing also, I wonder is it feels like more contemporary time. There's a little bit more fuckery in the Oscars with like, who you like, would they have ever had the goal to like nominate Hoffman as a supporting actor and Redford as a leading or Redford as the, as the lead actor, uh, sorry, supporting actor and Hoffman as the lead, like as Woodward and Bernstein, because I know they're co-leads, but there seems to be like a bit of weirdness there, much like they did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, like who's the support, who's the lead, like 
Yes. You know, that, that sort of weirdness that like, they kind of like, then a leading actor essentially like bullies people out of the, the category, you know, like it feels weird that that's the case across the board. But Pakula's not a guy that gets nominated, even though the movie is so, people are so reverential. All of the actors that work with him, everyone's talking about him. Willis, all those other technical, like all the technicians that work on the movie who get their nominations and eventually wins for some of them. But it's like, he's a guy who sort of escapes that attention at the peak of his career. And it's sort of like retro yeah, fit. We go like, right. wow, he's his, great. His, his only directing nomination is for this, which um, he deserved, but he lost at Avildsen for Rocky. I mean, that's 76 is another crazy year where like Network Taxi Driver, All the President's Men all lost to Rocky. I love Rocky. I think Rocky is a great movie. It's an underrated movie in some ways, but like at the time, well, whatever, it was sort of a phenomenon at the time as well, but like, it's just sort of a weird, but yeah, he never got nominated for like Parallax, Parallax view, you know, like, or To Kill a Mockingbird or like, it is funny. Oh, he didn't direct To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, he produced that right. He, um, but like, um, definitely Sophie's Parallax. Choice. Sophie's Choice is enough. That feels like a bait, bait one. I think the Parallax view at the time was seen as too weird. Yeah, or maybe too dark or something like. It, and it's funny that was a summer movie, which is also kind of hilarious to think about. Um, not not uh, if you just saw Tenet. Not if you just saw Tenet. Like the not Parallax. If I just saw Tenet. It's a Parallax, fair point. Par Parallax could play right alongside Tenet, and you'd you be know, just. I, I'm saying like, well, how could they snub the Parallax view? But then you like look at 1974, and it's like Godfather Two, Chinatown, The Conversation, Lenny. Like you know, it's like yeah, these were big movies. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This is new Hollywood, you know, thrumming away. Like the, these are the movies. Uh, I love the parallax view, but it is. It's not Chinatown. Frothier. Yeah, it's, it is. Uh, you know, which I love, you know, or, or what, I, you know, it has like a sort of a touch of science fiction to it, which I love. Like, I love that it's kind of like not trying to be tied exactly to real events. But um, maybe that put people off. I don't know. It's funny. It was ignored by the Oscars. <laughs> uh, and Paul Beatty, like all his mates are all getting nominated in that year as well. You know, they th they could have maybe given him some love, but um, it's it's an absolutely incredible. Like that, that that's one of the things that I just marvel at at this time. And I think it's probably why this movie has sort of aged into its reputation is, you know, you get a little bit more time and distance and you can kind of like look at these things as, as what they what they came to influence like that year of 76 with like, you know, Rocky taxi driver, you know, uh, presence network. It's like, um, you know, in the same year network and all the president's men exist. That just seems like completely bad shit to me that right. those two movies exist in the same year. It's just, it's it crazy. crazy. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah. They are kind of two sides of a coin, I suppose, in that All the President's Men is this very sober movie about the kind of boring business of reporting, even when you're reporting the story that's going to bring down the president. And Network is like this like big, brash, cartoonish movie about the rise of television and like, you know, like every everything is monologues and everything's very dramatized. And like I, I love both movies, like, but this is probably more my favorite movie. Than, yeah, I haven't seen Network in a long time. I, yeah, I, 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 I love them. I love them both. I, I, I've, I've been back and watched it again when I realized that Ned Beatty was in both and that he got nominated for both. I was like, I should watch Network again. And I think that the scary thing about you know 
the scary thing about network is that like you don't you don't know which one's more prophetic. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like right n- network. You just watch it and you go, man, like it was plugged into the, the frequency of the universe or something to, to come out the way that it did. And then you watch it now and it just is scary. It's just, it's actually kind of scary how good network is. I think that happens with a lot of Sydney Lumet movies. It's just like you watch them and you go, God, this is just incredible. Even like, random ones like night falls in Manhattan, which I saw for the first time recently with Andy Garcia. And I'm like, yeah. it's a really, it's a really uh, great cop drama about police corruption and sort of what's inherent in, you know, crime thrives in like under undercover of police corruption. And you can see why in the mid nineties people didn't want to hear that shit. But in 2020, it's like really great. It's actually yeah. awesome. It's a, that's a good call. I haven't I haven't seen Night Falls in Manhattan, in fact. But like and like I, now I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> the exact like when the in the '90s people were sick of that. Like the City Hall, that movie. Like uh, like another sort of yeah. decent not mid '90s corruption movie. Um, and Pakula's making movies like you know although Pakula sort of knew like I should go for this John Grishamy frothier stuff, but like the that's the vestigial tale like copland which is a great movie, uh, great movie. Uh, and was ignored like largely ignored and you know got like people were, gave it respectful reviews and like no one really saw it like um for for whatever reason in the 90s i mean the 90s you you the blockbuster's been reinvented and it's, you've got these disaster movies and you've got all this like crazy stuff you can do and like i, I get it but that this kind of a grown-up uh corruption movie i guess was yeah you're right it just wasn't sexy it's now i'm gonna sec- watch it gandolfini's in it ian holm ian holm doing a queen's accent which is outstanding Sounds great it's and but but um <clears throat> in oz actually it's funny <clears throat> excuse me the in australia there's this new label called imprint films um and they just released a blu-ray of it uh for the first time and it's got a sydney lumet document um a commentary track on there and he talks about mm-hmm. Gandolfini so this is Gandolfini pre-Sopranos and he's like oh Jimmy he's wonderful he was in one of my films and he started acting a little later and he just talks so beautifully about him he's like but he's got so he's just got this incredible intensity and humanity and all this sort of stuff and so it's all that stuff that you look at and you're like yeah this guy was in a Lumet film and crushed it in like bit roles and like then David Chase sees him is like oh that's my guy that's the guy who's going to change Yes. Yeah. yeah right, that's right, that's right. the guy who's going to change television, basically, uh, irrevocably, um, in the best possible way. But yeah, no, that you know, it, and it's the same also with the you know, um, I've spoken to a couple of journalists or many journalists as part of this project, and one Javier Panza who's uh, writes for the LA Times. He was always like Blake when I grew up. The All the President's Men wasn't my newsroom movie my newsroom movies, two of them were shattered glass. So like a cautionary mm, tale, great movie. movie. And the insider, which yeah. is like corporate, sure. you know, corporate news and that, that entanglement and that fight. And, you know, we're both man fans. So we both love that movie, but like, that's like, I think about that movie and this movie and paranoia. And it's like the insider is, is drinking all the Kool-Aid of like, of like presidents and network and things like the conversation is like taking all those elements and going, you know, Hey, 
this, this is actually what happens when networks prophecies come to life. Like it's true. This is what happens at the end of it. It's like the last bits of integrity all just get squashed out when the threat of lawsuits and litigation and all that sort of stuff happens. Um, yeah. Shattered glass is a good shattered glass is a good magazine journalism movie because yeah. it's sort of about how like you really have a lot of rope especially back then as a magazine writer, because it's sort of like, well, I'm working on this for X time. You know, you can be working on something for a very long time and kind of just left alone to generate what you're generating. And what (laughs) he's generating is obviously made up. Um, The Insider, that's a great TV news movie. But like, I'm, you know, like in terms of, I mean, it's tough because like, all the President's Men is about the most famous newspaper journalism of all time. It brought down a president. <laughs> Bob Woodward probably remains the most like famous journalist ever because he brought down a president. You know, you're not going to yeah. top that. It's crazy. Um, so it's sort of silly to think of it as like the great newspaper movie in a way because it's about a great moment in newspaper reporting. Like where like should I more be praising a movie like the paper that's actually kind of about like the kind of like silliness of the day-to-day of the job i don't know um i love journalism movies there should be more there should be more there should be more i, I and also i think in a contemporary time there's the unfortunate thing is something like someone like aaron sorkin who loves this movie who loves all the president's men deeply then made his newsroom was it newsroom? Is that what was it, what it was mm-hmm. called with Jeff Daniels? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that just didn't really work. Like it kind of worked in isolation, yep. but as it, as it went along, it just like didn't work, but there's still, you know, a lot of like that, you know, people unplugging and going lo-fi and, you know, you know, using flip phones cause they don't want to be tracked everywhere and how, how sources come through and, and, and conflicts and speed with which you have to do stuff. There's not, there's not that many. There was a, a pretty decent one was, um, uh, state of play with uh, McAdams and Russell Crowe, which is quite very good. solid movie. I mean, I like the BBC show that it's based shows on great maybe even shows, more show is excellent, but it's one of those movies where like no one remembers that movie. No, it's like it's what, <laughs> no. about 10 years old. Really? It wasn't a bomb, but like, you know, no one really could summon that movie if you ask them and it had what russell, i remember that was a russell crowe ben affleck mcadams helen mirren right like and, and and russell crowe looking like the donkey kong russell crowe that you guys talked about on your yeah, show he's like he, it, is, he's, it was burly russell crowe it was affleck slimy like pre-gongo but like still delivering the goods yeah he's McAd- good he's, he's good he's, he's good in it um had helen mirren giving the um the corrupt editor spiel of like, I don't care. She's writing blogs. Like get on with it. Like, you know, like she was just awful. Um, but it's, but right. great. It, it does have, it does have <laughs> blog talk. I forgot about the blog talk. Yeah. But, um, it was, but I, 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 I love that movie. All right. I had a great time watching them. I should watch it again. But yeah, it's, it's Violet Davis is in it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's got a pretty stacked cast and, and, but I think there's more room for that. They didn't, they didn't figure out how to, that was like a bridging movie. I think they were bridging like old, you know, newspaper journalism and going into that blogosphere. And then we really have like the wire, whatever it is, season five and basically yeah. nothing else since. Cause it's all like throwbacks, but I agree with you. It's a genre that's kind of like underdone needs, needs, needs some inject up. You know, there's a few big stories have broken in the last little bit. Maybe there's, maybe there's a, there's a movie in it. 
It's a fair point. Especially around, you know, the the uh Ronan Farrow's book and um uh Jody Cantor yeah. and Megan Toey, like there's there's some of those. Yeah. There's that. I mean, that, and that might be interesting. Like the problem with the newsroom and things like that is like, it's not fun if you make them heroes, in my opinion. Like, yeah, it's better to have them be schmucks or like the sort of Woodward and Bernstein thing where it's like, they're both, you know, figuring it out. Like they're both kind of good at their jobs, but there's also, you know, like, but you got to have setbacks and you got to have roadblocks and you yeah. got to have complete and utter failures and you've got to be like fired yeah. onto another story. And yeah. you know, it's, it's like if, because the newsroom thing is also hampered by the fact that they're covering stories they didn't actually cover, you know, but like, but right. Like I don't want to see people who are just going to do the best thing for the work. Like I, I don't, I, Right. You, you, it's, a, it's, it's a messy and weird profession. Like, it's good to dig into that. Yeah. And there's going to be more, like, but also not every story shattered glass as well. I think that's another, because shattered glass was so great. Everyone's like, oh, now all journalists are just making shit up. And you're like, no, that's not it. It's a great cautionary tale movie, like mm -hmm. with an editor who like sniffs blood in the water is like, this is a, there's a problem here and figures it out and like great performances and, you know, people, you know, getting caught up and with their ego and whatever. But yeah, I think there's like a halfway point between that. There's, there's gotta be something good there. Right. Look, yeah. way way back to nineteen seventy six and way back to this moment. Are there any other moments, you know, because you know, I I I'm not gonna probably get a chance to talk to you about it again in this project, but like are there any other moments that like really stand out to you in this movie, David, that you're like, this is, you know, one of the first things that you think about when you think about presidents? I uh, think about presidents. Presidents um, meant, sorry, the movie. The movie. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Um yeah, what are some moments coming up? I mean, I like the um, the the portrayal of Sloane, uh, who you've probably met at this point, right? You've, you've, yeah, you've, we've uh, just gone yeah. past him, exactly. Gone past Slippery right. Hugh Sloane, as uh, some uh, Kelsey Ford uh, from Brightwall Darkroom called him, and I'm sticking with that uh, moniker from yeah. now on. Um, as sort of like the weird thing of like the source you kind of like and it's partly because they're giving you stuff and it's partly because whatever they just they're just friendly like the the i just love how this movie portrays them getting information the sloan is one way so like sloan is just them being persistent but also polite and you know asking questions around questions things like that like the Jane Alexander character, the um, the uh, Donald Segretti, like I like that this movie demystifies what they're doing. They don't blackmail people. They don't like have some weird secret like password that they have to learn or code that they need to know to like you know. It's it's, it's just this weird kind of dogged kind of quiet persistence so, you know spotlight was also very good at this mm. which is one reason spotlight's such a good movie like that that kind of role you have to play where it's like i'm your friend but also i'm gonna write a story and you're gonna need you're gonna want to be a part of that because the opposite's gonna be bad for you like you know the weird mix of friendliness and threat and the way that balances out to being this kind of like anonymous 
presence in in a lot of these interviews they're doing you know just just kind of quiet just kind of um asking questions that like bounces things right back you know just i that's 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 what always sticks out to me is just how much of the movie is that yeah and that understand i think you're so great is like with those those guys and their peers as well as they as they grow into it and they're not quite they're definitely not good at the beginning of the movie as they're hitting their strides at the beginning the middle of this movie as we're watching now they're actually having editorial conversations with senior editors holding their own sort of getting to that point but I love too that by the time that they're talking to their colleague Sally Aitken in the office about you know the the writer or the Canuck letter and those things she's like and they're asking really forthright questions she's like well I guess I don't smell the blood like you got guys do you know like they right. you know i don't have a taste for blood and it's like you said it's that great thing of like this is all passive and happy-go-lucky and this is shooting the shit in our office together but when that can become a story i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get that blood out of you like you know blood from a stone like i'm gonna get it and yeah it's 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 there's definitely some interactions that coming up in the film that like are very much that but like yeah and, very and interesting and that great line from you know from hugh sloan's wife where she's like this is an honest house and you know they're really for your benefit and she's like no it's not and then redford admits no no it's not for yeah. your benefit it's it's for mine and that works so often it works with uh you know Lindsay Krause as well like where we're like some you catch more flies with honey right like you know that sometimes you just need to acknowledge what's going on and that's enough to sort of convince someone like okay sure I'll, I'll i'll help you out you know yeah well david look it, it, it's pretty good yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it's pretty good I, I i can say as someone who's watched it quite a few times uh for this project and and beyond it's it's pretty damn good um mate look thank you so much for being a part of the show i really appreciate you taking the time um and absolutely and uh yeah, I just want to say I'm a big fan of both your podcast work and all of the stuff you do for Atlantic. But uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for being part of the show. It's a treat to have you and a treat to have you talking about Bradley and us unpacking Oscars and all those sorts of things. It's 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 awesome to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. I can't believe it took this long. We should have <laughs> yeah, we should, we should have done this before. But yeah, it was it was it was a delight. And thank you for saying all those nice things. Blank check if anyone wants to listen. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. David Sims. Guys, you can follow David at, at David L. Sims on Twitter. Obviously, listen to his podcast, Blank Check with Griffin Newman. It is terrific. Um, big, big recommendation to go back to the Bill Gibberry Black Hat episodes and Miami Vice episodes. Um, being that, Miami Nice is obviously a show that may interest someone who has a banner image of Lee Gong and Colin Farrell. Um, Thank you so much for listening to the show at ATPM Pod for uh, show updates on Twitter. You can follow me at One Blake Minute on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to check out what's happening with the shows, just in general, oneheatminute.com is a great resource. And if you have any additional scratch, there's a donation link in the description of the show notes. Um, and also, One Heat Minute has a Patreon, which we have a bonus episode of a new podcast, Roman Rant, every week, sometimes with guests, sometimes just ranting. Um, but if you can't do that, times are tough. We know. Share rate review we appreciate you thank you so much for listening we'll catch you on uh, the final episode for this week very very soon